What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Ryan. On this episode, Keith will not be joining us. Uh, I got two guests on today. So, you know, it's already three as a crowd. So uh, let's not wait any longer and let's dive into it. That was good. All right. So you do it every time? Every time. I thought that was just like a A little recording. No, every time. Pretty slick. You sound a little bit. Oh, maybe it's just my headphones. A little high. I can. I can lower it a little bit too. I didn't know. Oh, actually, that's his. You you addressed it. Is this me right here? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay, I'm good. Are you sure? That's not low. For me? Yeah. No, I'm good. Oh, okay. You can. Oh, maybe I need to do that. You just sounded a little bit like Chewbacca in there. A little too high. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, so, it's funny, my uh, my buddy, so he lived in England for a little bit, and like all of the beers and stuff that we have here, like they just have like a different connotation. Like here, like people sell Stella as like this like upscale whatnot, and there, that's like the wife beater. Beer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're saying the, the Stella's like a PBR? Yeah, that one's like the the, <laughs> the basement beer, like just the really. Yeah, it's weird. Is that is that the is this guy one of the guys on your podcast? No, no, that's my buddy Billy Frey. Gotcha, gotcha. So we were just talking about Irish car bombs, and where was this at? So this hole in the wall bar before it was trendy to go to hole in wall bars. I mean, this was back in the early 2000s mm-hmm. you know there, like, again there were no yelp reviews like hey go check out this place if you're here like this is a place that you wouldn't go pre-microbrewery <laughs> yeah absolutely and this bartender told me that they had this drink called and i apologize if anyone gets offended by this uh <laughs> it, was, it was called the irish wife beater <laughs> instead of the irish car bomb and it was made with pbr and basically shit trash irish whiskey in a plastic <laughs> cup <laughs> It's it's always amazing. Uh, was this a military town? No, it wasn't. Really? No, it was uh, local to here. So that's impressive. I always <laughs> feel like military always find the best names for new drinks and yeah, auctions. Because if if we're somewhere where we don't have a lot of access to alcohol, we'll make whatever we can to get drunk. So it's like prison. Yep. <laughs> Straight out of the toilet. I don't know if you want to mess with toilets on a, on a ship though. It's ugh. Uh, you being in the Air Force, so you guys had the luxury. You guys probably had like golden toilets. Absolutely, yeah, see. absolutely. I mean, we had like, we all had our personal, uh, our own personal valet. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> y'all had the bidets and stuff. <laughs> we're over here with one ply sheet of toilet paper, wiping each other's ass because we're not allowed to touch our own. <laughs> I hated the Navy. That's the fascinating part about this podcast because I'm the outlier here. I don't, and I don't. You haven't really introduced us or anything. Yet, yeah, not but. yet. Like, I don't know anything. Right. So, like, when you had Guff on, mm-hmm. former Marine, right? Yep. Like, when you're asking, like, the, hey, tell us tell us about basic. Like, tell us your, your normal everyday story like that. Right. I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah, well, so, that's... That, that part of it, even though that's, like, to you, everybody tells these stories. Everybody's got these and whatnot. Right. I don't know any of that. So, I'm just, yeah. like, Well, technically, in. you're kind of our first... <clears throat> non-veteran guest okay like he he's a he's a firefighter but he's never been in the military but he's he's the host and he hangs out with a lot of veterans you know through me and all the people that we've met and then he he's got uh some relatives that are uh in the in the service as well uh actually on his on his wife's side but uh 
that is kind of why I brought you on is that we're, we're bringing somebody on that has no military experience. We want to really influence the fact that at some point, whether we're in the military or not, we, there is a connection in the things that we see every day, how we handle them, how we deal with them, our sense of humor. We can all, we can all, um, relate, uh, to our dark, dark humor. Now you guys won't be able to, you know, get to the level us veterans are at, but (laughs) it's a, it's a, it's cathartic because you have to have, and much like the first responders, and I'm sure you can know this, like, there are jokes that you can tell to your first responder guys, your firefighter guys, whatever, and they get it and they will yeah. laugh. It's the same way in the military. Yeah. It's can be crude, nasty lo- uh, locker room humor, mm-hmm. but it's fantastic. Yeah. Like it really is. So with, with all that being said, um, so who I'm talking to over here is, uh, one of my good buddies, um, Brit. He came on with me, um, through the fire department that we're on right now. Uh, went through the academy together, so he has a good idea of, of my personality, my my sense of humor, and just an all around good guy that I've I've really stayed in contact with over the last six years we've been on the department. Who also has his own podcast. Uh, name is it's called Young American. Tell us about it. Oh, well, actually, you were uh, you were kind of the one that was pushing me to start it. So um, it's just me and my twin brother, and then we've got three buddies, and. It's pure nonsense, man. It's absolute just, it's just a conversation like this with, you know what they say Seinfeld is a show about nothing. It's, that's kind of what it is. So it's, I've listened to a couple episodes and I always have a good time. Uh, you're, you're, uh, what was the one with being a parent? What was yeah. It was like the fir- first or second episode. Yeah. That. And then what about, uh, something dad says or a first stuff so- dad did stuff dad did. So it was kind of predicated out of that. So my dad is a little bit like he always hurts himself and he's a little bit of like a Tim, the tool man, Taylor, just, you know, uh bull in a China chop kind of guy. And he, um, we just, we tell stories, my family, we've got a big family and we tell stories all the time. And a lot of those are centered around my dad and how he hurts himself intentionally or unintentionally. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so, um, we kind of started this like idea, like what if we, you know, started a podcast and just told these stories and it was like, well, the well's going to dry up pretty quickly. If you just tell dad stories, you know, you'd probably yeah. do a few episodes and you'd be finished. So we ended up, it's kind of like a conversation storytelling type yeah. deal where we just, we just, it's a good hang. So I, I like, it. I enjoy it. The episodes that I've listened to, it's always a good, good time to, to really listen to on my drive home. I appreciate it. Um, now I'm sure you'll hear a story about me, but, I'm going to hit him first with a story that I know about Brit and something that I really enjoyed. It, it's an idea of like how the banter is at the fire department. So uh, we had a, a 26 week long Academy, right? One of our um, training officers was prior army. Uh, <clears throat> he was a, he was a black guy. He had the mustache, the waves. <laughs> like he was, he was, he what do we what do we say about him about Joe Mac? Yeah, Joe Mac. Like the he uh what's what's the phrase he would always say? You about to get yourself jacked. Yes. Up. Yes, yes. That was that was his go-to and he was a he was a tank operator. Mm. So he drove tanks and he was in Desert 1, I believe. Tank and, commander. Tank commander. Oh yeah. <laughs> Correct. Tank commander. And that Joe Mack was in charge of kind of sticking to the p- 
paramilitary aspect of the academy, I felt like he was the only one that really stayed true to it. Everyone else didn't really back him at all. Uh, I mean, he That's had us the, marching. I mean, it's all the army has. Yeah, yeah. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the cadence, the marching. Yeah, like that. every everyone knew this guy. He was just kind of on his way out the door, and he. Uh, I don't want to say he wasn't respected. He everyone liked him. Oh, very. he was just his own person, and he was good. He was good for something. He he could do the job for sure. Oh yeah, and uh, so Brit over here was the only one to go through the academy with zero demerits. He's that guy. Here we and, go. Uh, honor, honor graduate. <laughs> Here we go. go. <laughs> On the other spectrum, your host here had one of the most demerits in the academy. <laughs> but um, so let's, let's get to the point. Um, so the week of graduation, uh, we're getting lined up. And we have this this rope that we wear around our waist. Is if you if you see in any of the posts on Instagram, if I post any of the studio, there's a rope that hangs behind my chair, and this is a rope that we have to wear around our waist, yep. and it's it's basically uh, it's a symbolization of our pride and and what we do for you know crossing over from recruit to probationary firefighter, and this goes everywhere with us. We don't take it off. If we do take it off, we basically keep it in one hand. You don't let anybody ask to use it. All the instructors will try and say, hey, you know, I want you to tie this knot. You'll take it off. You got to tie a knot. Whatever knot they ask. Sometimes you'll get that instructor or adjunct uh, that says, hey, let me see your rope. Let me show you do knot. Well, next thing you know, they take off with it. So so it's like your weapon in basic training. Yes. No one else. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like right. So <laughs> we're lined up. We're in, we're in formation. And Joe Mack is sitting there with his his arms crossed and he's smiling and laughing while we're all getting information. Well, <laughs> this had been planned. I see how you're selling this. Now. Yes, Britt and his twin brother got the uh, other training officers, the cadre, um, on board with this idea, this prank to pull on Joe Matt. That they were gonna swap out identical twins. Identical twins, yeah. Sorry, you guys both have fantastic mustaches. No, he's never grown any of the facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> and there's certain parts of my face I can't really do it. Like there's no cars that cross the median right yeah. here. If you haven't noticed. <laughs> so uh, the plan was to basically swap out Britt and his brother, and uh, his brother came in dressed as as Britt. Uniform and all, and his information with us. And I don't know how you guys pulled it off for him to just pick up and go with how things are, operate at the fire academy. I was hiding in the offices, I think in the chief's bathroom or something, yeah. is where they stashed me. And the only thing that Chris did not have was the rope. Yeah. Actually, why don't you go ahead and tell the side? <laughs> why don't you tell the side of how you got the instructors on board and, and, and whatnot? I, I can't remember if it was you or if it was Saka. But we had one other guy who's a Marine Corps guy and just super jarhead, very funny. And it was suggested to him, hey, what do you think about we play a prank on he's, Joe Mack? He's the He's a training officer. Yeah. Yes, he's a gunner sergeant. So you know about gunnies, So What if we play a, a prank on Joe Mack and we, uh, you know, have Chris come in as Brit without his rope and we just try to do this. And he took like a real slow, I think he was like putting a dip in at the time <laughs> and he like leaned back, put the dip in. He was like, I think we have to do that. 
So fast forward, like nobody's. I think it was the, one of the last weeks, and they were. I was like, "Hey, do you?" Well, this was the we, week of graduation because he has right. a punchline. Yes, exactly. And I don't know how I made it without any demerits. You just hey, you got to get through that day, and that's your only mission. Whatever doesn't matter. So the plan was they were going to send Chris into formation without a rope. I don't witness any of this thing. I just know that everybody's formed up, and you can hear him in the background. Oh, you messed up now, didn't you? <laughs> didn't you? Which one of these is not like the other? And he's just, everybody's, like, he brings Chris right up in front of everyone and doesn't even second guess. So we look. We're identical, but if we're standing right next to each other, like his, like I've got a longer face. He's a little more round, his face, not his physique, but <laughs> he would kill me if he heard me say that. But he brings Chris forward to where he's standing right with him. So he's standing next to him and he's like, just, I mean, cutting you guys up. How are you going to let your man stand here without a rope? On the last week of class. And he's just cutting everybody up. Everybody's bouncing up and down laughing. And he's, and uh, what did he say? So Chris goes on to say, or Joe Mack is like, you thought you were going to get through the academy without any demerits? Well, I got your demerits right here. And he's he's dangling his rope, right? Your rope, right, right in front of Chris's face. That's right. And, uh, Chris is, is quiet. He's he's sticking to character, and he's like, you know, looking around, and he's like, you know what? I I came into this academy with zero demerits. I'm walking out of here with zero demerits, and he walks out, walks out, leaves, and, like breaks formation <laughs> and leaves. And Joe Mac is a deer in headlights. Just yeah. Just not, what? Wait. What, uh, where's Where's he going? So where's he going? The other instructor's like, what What'd you do, Joe? Like. Go get him. So he has a busted knee. So he hobbles to chase him down <laughs> and brings him back in. And uh, he's looking at him. He's like, I was, just, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. And and uh, they bring him back around. Somebody walks him in and he takes like a, a good look at him this time. And he goes, what's, what's wrong with his face? <laughs> his response, what's wrong with his face? Just kept yeah. saying it, and then I just emerged from behind the ladder truck. and. So to give you a clear picture of, of who this guy is, uh, his face, he's got one of those portfolio pictures you go and you know take your model poses. Like a glamour shot? Glamour shot, that's what it is. <laughs> and he, he's got a cowboy marble button shirt with his cowboy hat on and he's just over there looking at you and it's on every mouse pad in the instructor's office why you would let a picture like that get out that's fantastic awesome. beyond me so that's that's my quick story for brit um and i'm sure we'll get we'll get somewhere down the line where we hear more stories uh my other guest michael michael is actually why don't you go ahead and take it all right uh Michael Wagner. Uh, first of all, I want to tell how we met. Yes, <laughs> which is which is how all men should meet, and that's sweaty, half naked in a sauna yes. uh -oh. at the gym. <laughs> no, so my background: I am a Air Force reservist for fourteen plus years now. Uh, respiratory therapy by trade, and uh, we actually were in New York together, deployed at the same time, which is kind of where our conversation and friendship started. 
Yeah. So uh, when we first kind of ran into each other, it was about a, over, maybe over a year ago. And, you know, you could just you can tell guys that are in the military um, just the way they, they carry themselves. And most of the time, we don't even like being bothered at the gym. That is 100% um, accurate. So I just I just picked up on it, and I think you had some maybe an Air Force patch that I recognized, and I wanted to go over and talk to you because I was thinking about transitioning from the Navy Reserves over to the Air National Guard, and uh, we kind of went from there uh, just in passing, and then you were gone for a while. You had surgery. You had to, you had to take care of. Also on top of that, uh, actually, I think we met before, right before surgery. Bef- yeah. Well, before. Uh, New York. We might have made, met then. Yeah. It's because uh, I used to have my CCAT patch on my backpack. Yeah. It's a uh, critical care air transport. That's, that's which is exactly a, what it was that I which saw. Which is essentially a flying ICU on the back of an airplane. These We take care of patients that you wouldn't in a hospital take down for an x-ray. Right. We put them on the back of airplanes and fly them from wherever they need to go to upper echelons of care. So pick them up or we'd be in Afghanistan. We'd take them from afghanistan to germany and then they'd get whatever's going to happen in germany fly them from germany to the united states we just fly them all over it's all about in route care right um so then fast forward to maybe three four months ago uh ran into each other again i saw you for the first time at the gym and we got to talking again like you said back in the sauna and it's a great uh, place to meet men <laughs> i was glistening i was glistening um it's more of a glow like, there we it go. Was, it was there. nice. <laughs> uh, so we got to talking, and uh, I think it was the person that we were talking with. Uh, I can't forget. I forgot his name. Austin. Austin. That's what it is. And he mentioned that oh, this guy was in New York for COVID, and I was like, oh shit, no way. And then we got to talking, and then um, kind of from there, we we kind of. You know, we started talking about podcasts. We started talking about stuff that's been going on. All the, you know, uh, you could like the idea of what I'm doing with this podcast. And you and I kind of clicked a lot. You you gave me a lot of information, a lot of ideas to move forward with this podcast and different things to talk about. Because at some point I was, I was kind of lost in like, man, I feel like we're kind of doing the same thing. We're repeating something, but we're not hitting good topics. Or at least I don't feel like we're doing good enough. And I, you can probably relate, but us veterans were perfectionists. We are our worst own critics. And that's how I started to feel. And then when summer hit with my kids, uh, I had to take a break from it because I just didn't have time. Um, but it helped me really think about what I wanted to talk about. And in doing so, talking with you and things that we've talked about made me talk about or made me think about uh, a good topic, which was stigma and we've had conversations on it and i figured man this is this is really a good person that i can probably bring on and talk about it and then on the other side brit uh listened to our last episode and you said that uh one thing that stuck out to you was our talk about veterans being able to come home from all their stresses as opposed to the firefighters law enforcement uh, EMS, we still are driving by those scenes and how we don't really necessarily get to kind of just put it behind us. Yeah, I think 
so to start off with a stigma of mine, like we are lumped in the same category often by civilians, citizens, you know, military personnel and first responders. You know, you'll be at a ball game or something like that and they'll bring out the American flag and they'll say, can we have everybody stand? And a stigma of mine, man, is I always feel super awkward standing and getting counted with you guys because you guys are like the the boots on the ground or boots on the boat, and you're uh, in your position there. But is we that do, what you say? No. But, <laughs> but we do all have uh, grunt style shirts. So. Yeah, grunt style shirts. <laughs> so right. basically, they should just say anybody with a grunt style shirt, please stand up. Yeah. <laughs> We're not actually wearing them. I'm saying grunt style. Yes, I guess. Yeah. You called them in an earlier episode. You said pew pew. Is that? Oh right? yeah, pew pew. Uh, who is that? Uh, I have no idea. His name. I forgot his name. Uh, everyone that knows what you're mentioning, knows <laughs> but what I'm but about. to go back to that, like there's a to me there's a separation, and I'm not looking for validation or anything like that. But it was when you talked about the last episode to bring it full circle, when you talked about you know the difference is military guys are guys that served or you know did a tour in the sandbox or something like that. They get to leave. And that was kind of the thought that they get to leave and they leave that stuff behind. And there's like a turning of the page where I live in the same city that I, I work in. And so every street, every location, every house, every, you know, I can go, you know, my wife, it drives her insane. Cause we'll be driving down the road and I'll be like right there two years ago, right there, six months ago, you know, fill in the blank guy shot person died, CPR, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, that kind of got me thinking of just um, on the topic of stigma. I'll, I'll let it, let you take it over from there. But yeah, um, so I think everybody has got the idea of what we talked about in our previous episodes. What we're trying to get away from are the guys that feel that you're too tough to talk about what you've seen, what you've dealt with, and <clears throat> there's literally nothing wrong with talking about whatever we've seen. Um, and if you do talk about it, it doesn't make you weak for, for talking about it. But on the other side of that tough guy talk, we have another stigma where, um, there's these pictures that really paint it for what some people or whoever put it together thinks that's the idea of what people are suffering through. And it's, and I don't want to, when I talk about this picture, I don't. I, I think it's a great art piece, but I feel like that's another image that we're kind of stamping on people that do want to talk about what they're dealing with or a, a shitty run, busy night, whatever. Right. And it's that it's that photo of the firefighter or paramedic that's sitting in the back of the ambulance, just kind of sat back in the captain's chair, just looking up, and the whole entire back of the ambulance is is full of just you know, hanging IV bags, blood on the ground, sheets thrown, just trash all over. And he's just taking a, a moment to just kind of sit there and just dwell over that run. And then if you look closely, there's a light image of a soul yeah. of the patient that was just in there or other firefighters, spirits of other, you know, EMS providers. Sitting or it's back like there. in the reflection of the cabinet. Yes. Or <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, Hold on, like I, I, I know what this picture's saying, but that's not how I feel. Like we get back in the back of the ambulance and we clean up and head back out, and we probably make some, you know, 
bad joke about the run that we probably shouldn't, but we, we move on to the, the next run. And I think you, Mike, uh, being mentioned, you made a, a good point about uh, kind of moving on from that run. If you remember what we were talking about at lunch. Yeah. So inside the hospital, it's a little different, right? So inside the hospital, I was a preceptor in San Antonio um, for years. And I would have students who just would freak out when a patient would die. Like as a respiratory therapist, we're sometimes the last ones in the room. Like sure. we're the ones who are terminally extubating them, taking them off the ventilator. We are in there with the families. Like it's, it's a weird gig sometimes, um, but we do it. And we'd have students who would freak out, like who would walk out of the room and just start crying and sobbing. And I'm like, Hey, we don't have time for that. And not being callous, not be like, but you don't because right after you're in room eight, you got to go to room 10 and mm -hmm. take care of the next patient. And you cannot carry that with you. Not that you can't carry it with you and think about it. Like, I'm not saying that it, like I'm very passionate about uh, my job clinically and what that entails and taking care of patients. So to me, I was able to compartmentalize that. Like, yes, that was awful that what we just had to do, that person is no longer with us, but now I need all my energy. I need all my brain power to take care of the patient in room 10. And then my pager goes off and now I have to go down to the trauma bay and I have to take care of that patient. And then I got to grab a chocolate milk or a Gatorade and a pretzel from the cafeteria to go back up to the ICU and take care of patients. So carrying that stuff with you like that picture can be damning to you because like, oh man, now I'm just going to just, this thing's going to linger with me all day long and it's going to jeopardize uh, my ability to take care of my other patients. And that's what, as a preceptor, that's what I tried to get through to my uh, students like it yeah. sucks but we have to move on not just being dismissive or diminishing what you're feeling but you owe it to your patients to not do that yeah and that's you know it also takes a certain type of somebody to also understand that that's not you being mean that's you giving them a reality check absolutely um that's a, an even more rapid turnaround than than you and i like because when we when we pick up a patient or something like that you've got you know, you you take a couple minutes to write the report and you get back and resupply. You may go get fuel. You may get, but you're going from, you've got 10, room to 15 room. seconds, room to room. You go room to room. And, and you know, the, and I guarantee it because, you know, you just said about, you're still in it. Like we, when deployed, you leave it, right? But you still see it every day. I guarantee you, every single one of us have a story about that one patient. The one patient we will never forget. I could tell you mine, Drunk, sober, half away. I can because I remember this specific patient, and it it was hard for me to do exactly what I tell my students to do to do all the time. Like it was rough. This one kid, I can remember it. Like mm -hmm. he was a young kid, soccer player. I won't get into super details, but essentially, he was hit by a car and was brain dead. Mm -hmm. It was around Christmas time, and he was going to go off to play college soccer. All these things. His dad was deployed. I work at a military hospital. His dad was deployed. His mom was in here at Christmas time in an ICU in San Antonio, Texas, making decisions by herself without her husband knowing uh, to put this kid on the organ uh, donation uh, list. And like, wow. I remember that vividly. I was in that room. I was taking care of this kid to make sure that his organs were good enough to go off. Like, and 
that one stuck with, it'll stick with me for the rest of my life. Gosh. And that's a rough one. Right. But like at the same time, I still had seven, eight other patients that I had to take care of. That was a rough night. And I can remember that. So like, again, not being dismissive or diminishing those feelings, but just, it is a thing where you're like, that sucks. But these other things also have to be taken care of. Right. Um, to piggyback off what you were saying about, um, you know, jump and run to run. Uh, I, th- I think this was the same topic, but, uh, when we were at lunch today, we were talking and you were talking about a buddy of yours, Navy seal that you were, or a patient that you patient, were taking, yeah. um, who kind of just snapped. Mm-hmm. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, something in relation to, it was just tough guy talk. Yeah. Like, it, it essentially like, so this was 2018. And again, without getting too much details, we, we're flying a patient from the Middle East to Germany. We had a full plane. I mean, this was an air event. I mean, this plane was completely, completely full. C-17, and they're mm-hmm. humongous. And there were tons of patients on this plane. And we already had a patient. I think he had fallen into a burn pit or whatever. He just had surface burns, nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we also had a psych patient who just happened to be a Navy SEAL. And everyone knows the, you know, the, grand stories of the Navy SEALs. I mean, these are arguably the baddest dudes on the planet. They go through thousands and thousands of hours of training and all the stuff that they do. And while this guy was deployed, he just stopped operating. And I don't mean operating out there with the gun and everything. I'm saying the lights weren't on upstairs anymore. He just kind of snapped. Like he Mm -hmm. couldn't do it anymore. And I guarantee you up until that point, like, because we never know when that's going to happen. We've all had bad days, but like, what is that one thing that makes you snap? You know, in a vacuum, being deployed, not a bad deal, not a bad thing, right? In a vacuum, things going on at home, not a bad thing. In a vacuum, all these other things don't matter. But when you have all these things compounded at the same time, what is that straw that breaks that camel's back? And this guy just stopped. Like he couldn't function. He could not operate anymore. And we flew this guy from the Middle East to Germany to get him help. Right. And how many times did during that what well, deployment or whatever, did he push through like, Oh, come on, man, you got this. Like you can do this. Like you okay. Check box, check, 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 check. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because if you don't say you're okay, you're letting yourself down, you're letting your team down or your squad or your platoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And then maybe you should have said something months ago and it would have been a little better, but at some point it just, snapped and went off i think that uh and we kind of talked about that is that uh i feel that right there is what damages every service member or or firefighter or cop is that we're forced to almost be scared to talk about it because if if we answer yes to any or incorrectly to any of those questions they take the only thing that we know away from us. Absolutely. The only thing that's keeping us on track with getting through our days. Because if I don't want to talk as a as a Navy SEAL, but I would assume that, you know, um, if I went through all this training, you know, they go through a rigorous program and work my ass off, it's not normal to see the things that they see. No. Absolutely. In that community, maybe that as a, as a community that is what you're going to see but 
that doesn't mean you have to be okay that you're going to be okay with it. Um, but to say, yeah, I am dealing with this. This is what I've dealt with. You shouldn't be forced to stop operating in any capacity, whether it's, it's a nurse, whether it's a firefighter, a Navy SEAL cop, whatever. But the one thing that keeps us going every day is the same routine that we've been going through and what we train for, what we enjoy doing. I enjoy the job, but yeah, there's stuff that comes along with it that maybe I do need to go get a little bit of help. Maybe we're burnt out. Maybe we need time away, not per like permanently taken away from it, but just a break. And well, you get two weeks R and R post uh, deployment, right? Like, yeah, that's supposed to get that's, you back to right. <laughs> but uh, regardless of the length, it's just two weeks. It's like a two week R and R, and then like you can take some leave that you've accumulated. But I mean, ultimately, that's the weird thing, right? And again, I'm medical. I am not. I've never been in a firefight. I've never operated. I've never returned fire. I've never done anything like that. Okay. I've taken care of the guys that have, right? Whether mm-hmm. here stateside or downrange. We ask these guys and firefighters as well. I mean, this is, I think you got, and again, what you said, like you're lumped in with us, you're lumped in with us because you're uncommon. Most people never raise their hand to be in the military. And most people never raise their hand to be a first responder. Right. So I, I think you guys belong just to say, um, but these guys are forced to operate at 100% all the time operational ready boom 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 let's do this let's do this let's do this and then you go over there and sit or you go over there and you do what you do and then you come back and then you're supposed to turn it off right and like that's not realistic you can't do that like that's you're talking a high speed let's say car motorcycle whatever it is like you're just running it all the time then you're just going to sit it there and then you're like well that's not good for it either right not meant to do that exactly uh With, man, I just had I had it in my head. Um, with the, you want to think on it for a second? I'll, yeah, go ahead and go. You, uh, you know, uh, you said at lunch, like one of the, I thought one of the, one of the better examples, you already said, Michael, you're a cinephile just like me, cinephile, audiophile, love movies and music. But if you're looking for an example, like as a civilian, you, you talked about the movie, The Joker. Mm-hmm. Like the guy that the Navy SEAL that that snapped that you like, I remember seeing that movie, and sitting, sit, whoever I was sitting with, I think I was sitting there with my wife and just being like, that is not far off from a patient that we would have. Absolutely, like it's it's fictional and it's played out a little bit, but like you said, I think you made the comment like that movie very well could have been called Ron. Yeah, you know? like it's a microcosm of mental health in the United States. If right? you've never seen that movie, I highly recommend it. Spoiler <laughs> alert: Middle school's hitting again. <laughs> <laughs> um, great you, movie, but get, it, why don't you get your fucking candy cigarettes out to go have boys? <laughs> <laughs> Get over there, Don Draper. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. <clears throat> um, but it's a great example of okay, what does it look like when somebody somebody snaps or somebody just can't take it anymore? And there's lots of people. I I didn't realize how many people are dealing with those kind of demons or that kind of stuff that are just normal everyday people. Well, if you think about it, if, I mean, this is probably a, a huge exaggeration, but just about everyone you know, everyone you come into contact with, could like be labeled by something in the DSM five, right? 
Like what's DSM? That's the pleading ignorance here. So that's like the psychology book that like lists all the, all the psychological or mental disorders. And you know, you get labeled, uh, accordingly. And, um, like no matter what you are, you are on the spectrum of something, whether it's PTSD or whether, and like eating disorder, like all these things are in this, in this book and list. And like these people, like you could meet everyone and someone would be labeled by something in that book. Um, in the, in the, crazy part about that is is that's real life right and when i was and spoiler alert if you've not seen this movie it's several years old so you any spoilers <laughs> i apologize so essentially what it is is it's called the joker and i made the joke that you could call it ron because it is not about the joker it's about mental health mm-hmm. and so this guy has his name is arthur who becomes the joker he has severe issues based on childhood trauma and abuse and then he has a traumatic brain injury, which alters the function of his brain, which causes him to laugh and do all these crazy things. He then has to rely on state or government funded health care where he is. He sees a psychologist or a psychiatrist, counselor, whatever it is, and he gets his medication from there as well. And then at the end of the thing, basically, oh, we're losing funding. Sorry. Good luck. That's a microcosm of what's going on in the United States with mental Mm. health in general. Like people do not have access. There are not enough providers. Um, Not everyone needs to be on medication, but we let's just medicate everybody, whatever it is. Like it's it's a great movie that you can go in and watch and be like, oh, wow. And then when he gets to that point, eventually he just snaps. And there's no longer a support. system. There's no there's no longer support system at all. He has no support system at home. He has no support system from the government anymore because this thing shut down. And then like he is already, you know, fragile. And then, boom, that's the the wick is lit and you can't stop it. Uh, I think I remembered what I was going to touch on because we were talking about um basically everything being taken away from us because we answer incorrectly on the, or inappropriately on a, on a evaluation and it's taken from us. And I like to kind of sit back on that one and think about, you know, with our runs that we deal with, uh, on the ambulance, you know, we were talking about this on our way back where they give you the opportunity to go home for the day. Some people take it. Some, some don't. Right. I'm one of those that, chooses not to uh one thing i like to do which which could ultimately be for or against what i'm trying to say as far as uh i don't want i don't want to leave um not only because i don't want to leave my crew but i don't want to be left to think about that run immediately right and if we stay on the truck we're going to be busy we're going to stay busy we're going to stay active and we're going to move on and slowly that bad run is 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 kind of pushed back for the moment um and you you said driving up here i got about an hour long drive hour and 15 oh, minute man, drive it's great but it is my decompressed time and i think we talked about that uh as, as far as the military and r and r uh even even guff made mention of this back in world war 1 those guys would take a ship back home and it would take about two weeks to get back home. Well, in that downtime for two weeks, they were able to come back and get back to their wives, girlfriends, whatever. And though they still, they, they were dealing with it differently, which was 
what they called shell shock at the time. Oh yeah. Um, now fast forward to today. Now it's just a, a what fourteen hour plane ride. Yeah. And they don't. They're not really. Um, they're not really getting enough time to decompress and let everything kind of just dwindle down. And then now we're on to. But you get to do your post deployment mental health assessment. Yeah. Where you have to say that, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. I was going to ask, as a civvy, what does that look like? Like you talk about, like you talked about, it, you patch this test or you get this interview or something like that. What does that look like? Is that only when you are discharged or it's, is that an, a reoccurring It's thing? like our physical. Yeah. When we go to do really? our physical and they say, on a scale of one to five, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like you've lost this? Do you ever get angry easily like oh bullshit like i get angry because my kids didn't put their shoes away it doesn't make me a fucking psychopath yeah the so you sometimes it does it does absolutely (laughs) Uh, so you do a baseline like pre-deployment so every year we have our uh physicals like you said and a part of that is a quote unquote mental health assessment for everyone that's not looking. I just did rock star quotes. It's a podcast, Mike. I know I got to remember I'm usually on camera for other reasons. Uh, So the, they do an annual assessment and it's, you answer the questionnaire and then they'll give you like a three minute phone call of some random person you've never met or ever talked to and be like, Hey, are you good? Yeah, I think so. Do you feel like you're going to hurt anyone or yourself? Nope. Okay, we'll talk to you next year. And that's basically what happens every year. But then pre-deployment, you do a baseline, and it's kind of the same thing. It's a little bit more in-depth with the questions. And then post-deployment, you get asked pretty much the same questions, and they just want to make sure that you're okay post-deployment. Like, did you see anything that freaked you out? Are you homicidal? Are you suicidal? No. Okay, cool. We'll talk to you again later. So we're talking like 10, 12 questions, something uh, like I don't, that? I don't know the number, but it's not super in-depth. It's not like... And I'm and and that's for us as medics. I can't speak to what the operators, the infantry guys. I mean, okay. there's maybe a little bit more in depth or whatever, uh, but based on my experience, it's not in depth, and it's one of those things where you have to wonder why, right? Like you have to wonder why there's 22 uh, veterans that kill themselves every single day. You have to wonder why there's over 30,000 suicides. And only 7,000 people died in combat over the past 20 mm. years. And those numbers are ish, right? I yeah, they know. always fluctuate. So the person that's going to come and be like, it's not 22 a day. Yeah. You get the point. Yeah. So you have to wonder why. Why they're... And it's because... And it's one of those things. And we all, we've all talked about it. Anyone who's ever worn the uniform knows that things, unfortunately, in the military with things like this are reactive not proactive so it's like oh someone killed themselves on base you best believe within the next week you're going to have a cbt about suicide Mm. and you're going to have a commander's call about suicide but like well why did that guy kill himself yeah what happened in the past whatever that made him go to that point and again this is because the questionnaires the stigma that everything that we're talking about today is you know manifests itself and things like this and not even like so uh, my buddy tyler and i always talk about bell curves right bell curves are amazing because you have an extreme two and a half percent on one side an extreme two and a half percent on the other side and you have the big bell in the middle and that's where most people exist right so it's not saying that everyone who has a mental health problem is going to kill themselves 
And it's not saying that everyone who has a mental health problem thinks it's a stigma and won't talk about it. People exist in the middle. And those are the people who really need help because they're functioning, but are they truly healthy, whether it's mentally or physically or whatever it is. And I think those guys will end up becoming that extreme right, suicide or homicide or substance abuse, whatever it is, without the proper help. Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll try and make myself vulnerable in this aspect is uh, when it comes to things that I'm like the middle, how I, I like to kind of gauge myself is sometimes I don't want to, I don't want to be put on medication. No, I think medication is probably the worst thing for this. This is kind of just a, a blanket to cover everything up, to make you get through your day. All while knowing that stuff's not good for our bodies. Um, to go back to what we were saying, you know, I don't want to be told you're not capable of doing this job mentally. And it's, that's, that's a hard thing to, to, to take on. I don't know really what I would do outside being on a, on a engine or an ambulance. I really don't know what I would want to do within the department. You know what I mean? Like I'm not experienced enough to want to go to the training academy and become an instructor. I definitely don't want to go to community services. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) there's just certain, there's nothing on the job that I really want to do, you know, uh, other than be an asset to helping people. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's my opinion. My thought is why people avoid from really talking about anything. One, you also got to find certain people you trust. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm very, um, trustworthy as far as talking to people that are willing to open up themselves um i also don't want to be looked at as like that guy's emotional you know Absolutely. Uh, and <laughs> brett you know me very well that i'm probably the least emotional person uh <laughs> to anybody or care about anybody's uh you know it may seem like i don't care about people's feelings but you know you get to know me you're like okay this guy can be a smart ass but at the same time i'm able to step back and realize recognize that hey this person wants to talk what's up yeah you know i was super surprised when i learned that you were doing this podcast and whatnot because ryan's a different character on here than (laughs) this is just a side of him that i didn't know because at the station he's the most just ball busting son of a bitch i've ever met like at two three in the morning it's just like he's hiding behind a door to like scare you in the dark (laughs) I forgot that you were, (laughs) we, we rode for the first time, like just a month ago. Well, it wasn't our first time, but for a full 24 years. Yeah. Yeah. Been for years. Uh, so to give a little war story with Brett, our first time ever running together, he was on the truck for about six hours. Something like there was, (laughs) (laughs) there was a bomb threat at the local hospital, the main hospital, where a we real worked. bomb threat, like like, like this legit. Guy, it, oh yeah, this guy had uh, explosive devices in his van, and they were a whole cache of ammo. Wow, pipe bombs, everything just loaded up in the back seat of this van. Yeah, and talk about staging. Um, they ended up wanting us to stage right in the dead center of the street, in the like no fault zone. You know, we blocked off both both ends of the street. Bu- well, busiest busiest road in the city. Yeah, the, one of the main veins going. So down. They stopped us right in the middle, and they said, "Go ahead and stage right here." We're like, "Okay, cool." So we're sitting here talking, and 
they're like, hey, uh, uh, identified our unit. And uh, they're like, hey, why don't you guys go ahead and, and put your uh, your Kevlar on? They're just walking back, giving updates. They're like, hey, we found two devices, four devices, found five devices. <laughs> and yeah. they're sending in the robot, like now, like like the the hazmat teams, like getting their all their suits on. I'm like, holy shit, is this like a real deal? And then they're finally like, hey, why don't you put on your ballistics? Yeah. Stuff? We're like, well, how far is it away? And they're like, it's it's like right there. <laughs> and it's like what I'm I'm pointing. It's probably like fifty yards, seventy yards away from something like that. Like we're in blast radius at this point. So, Britt, <laughs> Britt is turning around to go get his his vest. No, and so we had your boy riding with us, and he's like, I'm not even going to say his name on here. He's putting that vest on. And he's like. I don't know how this works, fella. If I got it on backwards, how's it? Where's this Velcro on? He's probably got it on upside down. And the cab of an ambulance. This is a two-seater ambulance. So Ryan's in the driver's seat. I'm in the AO seat, the officer seat. And then like there's this little like walk through to the back. And the other kid is sitting back there, and he's just trying to get this vest on, looking like an idiot. I'm like, no, hey, you go like this, and I turn around. To like lean back to like show him, and I put my foot out in front of me like this. Well, where what what am I stepping on right here? That's the cue. That's the air, air horn. horn. <laughs> and I just I'm like here, and I step on it, and <laughs> and mind you, we got Hurt Locker going over yeah, there trying to defuse the bomb, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like bug eye like. Oh my <laughs> fucking god! And Britt's like, "Was that you, dude?" I'm like, "No, motherfucker, that's you." And he's like, "Oh no!" And we're sitting there like pointing at each other, like, "That wasn't me. That was him." Like, and immediately he's just like, "You know that Johnson is over there with a red and green wire and a set of cutters, just like, all right, just bam, boom." <laughs> dead oh, just the whole block smoke yeah you just killed half a million people <laughs> so, that was uh that was hands down like one of the more embarrassing moments <laughs> on the department easily. it is it is uh so that was that was Bastard. one of our moments uh together but then the 24-hour shift like you go into our room at night it's pitch black and where you have to go through, you have to go through the office, the little floor watch area from the bay. So you, you go through the one room that has light. So whenever you transition from a light room, a lit room to a dark room, your night vision hasn't set in. Right. So I like camouflage. That's why you wear an eye patch with that mustache. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I like stand at the, the head, head part of his bed on the side of it by his dresser. And he walks in. And he, he's standing at the side of his bed and he's probably like a fist length away from me. And he like opens up his phone and I it lights up. I up my phone and I unlock and I just see Ryan standing right in front of me. <laughs> like I could lean in and just kiss you on the mouth or something like that. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but I get I, I get all the guys that come over. The the guys new to the, the buggy. The, it's just, it's the that perfect was like the room. the second, third time he's done it. <laughs> yeah. So when he tells me he's going to start a, a, he wants to start a podcast about, you know, like helping guys with PTSD and things like that. I'm like, really? <laughs> I think that's the worst example. I think the best example. <laughs> guy tells dick and fart jokes all day long. <laughs> 
No, I think the better example is how I treated that Marine in, in the academy. You don't want to tell this story. I don't want to tell it. You're better at telling it because I don't even think it's that bad. But the way you, you make it out to be. You don't want to tell this story on this podcast. Are you serious? Tell them. I mean, that would be that's the authenticity of this. Like who I really am. There's this poor kid in our recruit class. <clears throat> nice guy. And he was just kind of the, the pudgy round guy, and he was a Marine. And if you'd have just picked and uh, pick a hundred people, and then you pick the one that's least likely to be a Marine, it would be this guy. You point at him, and he would just the whole every every class. I think every day it was just yeah, or you know, just <laughs> ate it up. <laughs> would always volunteer to the cadences and always knew everything about anything and Ryan would just ride this guy like a stick pony the whole know, do time do you know why why <laughs> i'm going to tell you choice why choice of words dude here's here's choice here's the thing words. so my dad was vietnam era marine okay my uncle was in the navy all the things so the marines are technically department of the navy and the marines will let you know that it's the men's department Okay. So that's why Ryan was so upset about this Marine. <laughs> oh. This is the only chance he had that he was going to get to do this. Yeah. So this all makes sense now. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> psychologically, just this guy. Oh, I said his name. Shit. You'll have to bleep that out. <laughs> <laughs> he no longer exists at the department. So yeah, maybe <laughs> he exists at a department. I'm sure of it. He's like, buddy, you're, you weren't a Marine. Stop. Stop telling these guys stories. <laughs> And you could just see just that little vein, just right of his eyebrow there. They're proud like, people. Just him gonna go nuclear. I'm sure you were on the top of his list. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> him putting his lipstick on and just yeah. <laughs> yeah, which it actually that is a perfect segue. You know what's so funny about that is that is a stigma that my dad hated mm-hmm. as a Vietnam vet because it used to be like. You just said going nuclear, but it was like going postal. And these guys that would go postal were Vietnam vets or prior Marines or whatever it was. And like that stigma of like all these Marine Corps baby killer Vietnam vets are now like coming home and, you know, going postal and going nuclear, as you just said. So it's actually, yeah, it's one of those things. Hated that stigma. Like we're going to talk about other stigmas as well. Like that's and mental health. That's all. Tied in together. together, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't like him. <laughs> I <didn't>. never noticed. <laughs> he brought it on himself, though. Oh, yeah, uh, he definitely did. brought him on himself. I mean, you're talking about a guy that would critique probably one of the most fittest guys in our class on his squat, and this guy was pudgy. And he's like, "Ah, oh, maybe you need to get a little lower. Your form's a little off." And I'd look at him like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> Like and everyone that knows me knows the look that I'm I'm giving off right now, and it's <laughs> get down I, like this. Yut. <laughs> just he was just he was just one of those guys. He just was not. Uh, he was the guy that would tell everybody they needed to be quiet. Hey guys, we need we need to keep it down. But the only person that was loud enough to be heard was him. Yeah, like he was that guy. I was like, shut the fuck up, man. I can't see you. <laughs> But he he would you know he was like okay squid okay squid and oh, Jesus. you know I was like all right 
all right, cool. All right, we're going to go there. I got you. <laughs> so I would always tell him that he wasn't a Marine. I was like, quit telling everybody you're a Marine, dude. Everyone keeps asking me if you're really a Marine. I tell him no. Yeah. And he's like, why the fuck did you do that? Oh, I was like, because you're not. He's like, hey, well, people's reaction would be like, dude, was he really a Marine? Like, everybody that I see would be a Marine would be like super fit, like chiseled jaw. And I'm like, oh, at some point they probably were. <laughs> so he got, you know, he got started getting upset about it and he ended up bringing a picture like this this is me man see this i t- i used to be skinny at one point <laughs> well the picture was like the backside of some dude i couldn't even see it was him i'm like that ain't you oh uh, yeah that's... and this is this is to kind of go back to what we we're talking about like oh ryan you're fat shaming him and oh you're just bullying him and it's like am i really bullying him if we're if, if we're really just talking talking banter with each other you know because i i still i mean he was stationed at the same station as us during our probationary year mm-hmm. he had a hard time and i mean he would call me during his his downtime with him being hurt on light duty and coming back and i was actually surprised that he kind of called me because him and i got off to a rough start and you know he, he kind of confided in me about things that he was dealing with he didn't feel like and I really don't think I can do this job. Like it's been, you know, nine months. I don't know if I could do this, do that. They caught a fire or he went to training. They had an incident there with him. They caught a fire and he just, he, he told me, he was like, I just, I screwed up and he ended up leaving. And I think, you know, to, to think about that situation, like, was it, was it, was it me? Because we, we picked on each other like that. That's just what we do. We talk shit to each other. If he needed the shirt off my back, I'd give it to him. So, yeah, I did bust his balls a lot. But if any of those guys would ask me for help, absolutely. And that's what I felt he did. You know, and I knew for him to reach out to me and say, you know, feel comfortable talking to me about situations like he knew that we've in some way, shape or form, just being in the military, we've all been through harsh times. We not may not have served in the same same you know unit area whatever, but mentally we've gone through some just bullshit throughout mm-hmm. our careers. Oh, Whether it's boot camp, <laughs> AIT, uh, the hurry up and wait game, embrace the suck, embrace the suck. Like we all we've all been through that, and that's what I feel personally that he was able to reach out. He felt safe to come over and talk to me about it. And it's just like, hey, this kind of sucks, man. And I know. When he reached out for that, that's when I knew, okay, hey, this guy's serious. No, it's a, it's like one of those things. So I, I'm i a huge believer in, and I told people all the time, like, oh, man, you were really hard on me. I'm like, it's because I cared. Right. I was like, ask the people who I never talked to. Gave two shits. Mm-hmm. Like, because they showed no drive, no initiative, no whatever. But, yeah. like, if I gave you a hard time, if I pushed you, it's because I wanted you to succeed. And right. I feel like... That's okay. Like, and, and you don't have to like someone to know, like we don't like everyone that we know or everyone we've worked with, but people have value. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, if I've pushed you to a point that made you better, awesome. But I also know like if I've pushed you too far, hmm. I can back off. I can govern that. Like, okay, clearly this is not how you work. You don't like the ridicule. You don't like this. So I need to find another way to incentivize you or to push you and things like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever. And in the military, that happens all the time. Right. We all have our gomer piles. We all have our 
guys that were like, fuck man. But like you, you push them through because ultimately their success is your success. Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah. like maybe someone who has your six one day, that may be someone who is working on a patient with you one day. That may be the person who's making sure to turn the water on <laughs> for when you guys are catching a fire or right. Like, so it's like, I need to make sure that you may not be where I want you to be, but I need you to be in a certain place and I'm okay with busting your balls to make that happen. You know, that <clears throat> brings me back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, when we get a traumatic run or something or a pediatric run, somebody dies, it's something really, really tough or, or something like that. Sometimes they'll bring in um, our quote unquote chaplain. They get, they give you the option to go home. Like you said, they'll, they'll say, Hey, do you want to go? And some guys will take that. And I'm fine more often than not. Like you're saying, Michael guys want to stick around. Like I remember there was a fatality on the interstate terrible run mother with a bunch of kids everybody died um and it it wasn't on my shift but i remember i got called in to to relieve some of these guys that had to deal with with this and i remember going to the station and saying hey you know i'm here who am i relieving and every dude you know down to down to a man said oh no i'm not i'm i'm gonna stick around i'm gonna ride it out if my guys are here then then I'm here. And I think it is a little bit of that, you know, that crucible that you, that you find yourself in with guys where they're just like, yeah, you know what? If he's staying, I'm staying. And this is the therapy, you know, the next run with it. 100%. Yeah. That's, uh, I still, and I'm sure you've seen it too. Like I can see people that I've either, trained with was deployed with or something. And we can have a conversation about the stuff that we went through at Mm. any point in time, which is therapeutic in itself. Right. Like, Hey man, remember that? Like, yeah, that sucked really bad, but like, at least you were there. Hey, do you remember going on the roof and like making jokes and shit about jumping off of it? Like, yeah, we probably shouldn't do that now because we'll get flagged. Right. Like we make all these jokes, but like it is cathartic because some people don't want to be alone. Yeah. Like when you see something traumatic or whatever it is, like you witness something, it's like, do I want to be alone at this point? Yes. Probably not a good idea. And but do I want to talk to a psychologist or a counselor? No, I want to talk to my guys. Um, one thing that happens. So with CCAT, um, we are the end guys that fly them to the hospital. We're not the POI guys. We're not, you know, like, so point of injury, the dust off guys, they fly in medevac them out of there. Right. Right. And then like when we get to come take care of these guys to fly them out, like a lot of these guys who are not um, so catastrophically injured or whatever that they're not into, like, where's my guy? Where's my guy? Yeah. Like where, where's like, man, there were four of us. Like I'm here by myself. Are my other guys? Okay. They're more worried about their other yes. guys than they are themselves. And then they also like, if it's like an IED blast, it's not a joke. They're like, is my shit still there? Like, is, <laughs> and my good's like, oh yeah, man. You're like you lost your leg, but you're, you're, you know, you're, you're Frank and beans. You're, you're all good there. Like, but that's that because you have had blood on your boots or dirt on your boots or on your hands or something with these guys. And you will, that's your therapy to be with those guys. Like, I, I don't think there's any, or gals, I guess we should probably say that right, too. Yeah. Cause I've served with some fantastic women medics that are just in like, 
they're badass. So I don't want to just say guys. In, but yeah. in contrary to that, just from observ- purely from observation, the guys that will have the hard or girls that'll have the hardest time are the people that go home. You know, there's a guy, there's a guy that I respect that, that he's got a story from way back when, when they made a run and he was given the opportunity to go home and we're talking one thirty, two thirty, three thirty in the morning. He says he's staring at the ceiling going, damn it. I wish I'd have been there. I wish I was on the truck right now with my guys, you know, or sometimes they're the people that will, you know, be a little more estranged from their truck where, you know, given that choice right then, you can't, maybe you can't really tell in the moment, but what you really do need is to be, to be with your guys. But you need that safety net as well, right? Because let's say us three were deployed together or we're firefighters, we're first responders, whatever. Like we're together all the time. We know all of our nuances. We know all of our little weird things that we do. And let's say we we responded to that family dying on the highway. And then for the next two days, we're still together because neither one of us, none of us went home. And you're like, dude, Mike's real quiet. Like he's never quiet. Like we're mm-hmm. always joking. We're always something, something's up. Like, yeah. and so that safety net is great to have because yeah. like, I may never say something, but you're like, Hey man, you know what? I noticed like I'll throw movie quotes out there. You weren't going back and forth with me. What's up? Yeah. And you're like, something's up. And you're like, yeah, dude, that, that messed me up. And I just, you're like, cool. I caught that. Right. But if you go home, you have no idea. Like, and then you're sitting there with inside your thoughts and that's a dirty, dark place to be for so many people. Like being a whole, you know, a home alone with your thoughts, that can be a terrifying place to be. You know, I wish that we had something like you guys were talking about, like that. What do you, what do you call it? That evaluation? The to make po- sure. like pre and post deployment, uh, pre-imposed mental health evaluation is basically something like that. Even though, I mean, I don't know, you're not talking about it in super high regard, <laughs> but, uh, well, they do the, our peer support, right? They, they're making their attempt at doing something similar to it. I, they're still trying to fine tune it. They're the best thing about our peer support is that they're kind of just learning as they go. And they're not trying to change their personality to like a coddling, like it's okay. Like, hey, it's. I was just going to mention that when we do end up staying on the truck after a bad run, it's not so much like, hey, buddy, are you okay? It's more of, man, that run kind of sucked. And that just opens the door to just people being okay, feeling comfortable to talk. Like, you you you're probably the same way with your crew as I am with my most of my crew is that I could say something and I, I know I could talk to those guys and they're never going to pass judgment. Not a single person on my crew is going to ever pass judgment, and they'll probably hop in on that conversation and be like, "Oh yeah, that did suck." Like, mm-hmm. man, I, I really I did this, but I, I probably should have did that. And it's like, well, hold on, like we did the best we could, man, and that's what we're here for. Sometimes we're not, we're not going to save them all, mm-hmm. and. Even when it's very obvious the person's not going to make it, there is some people that do have that lingering, you know, there's still that one chance. No. Sometimes it takes us to be like, hey, man, we we have to stop. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what our peer support is doing a good job of is, is trying to keep it as authentic to our personalities on the job. We're not trying to make it feel like this is a therapy session, but right. rather than just a... 
let's just take a break. But that's therapy in of itself, right? right? Like, but without labeling it that. Exactly. And that, that you can stigma. usually get people to open up. Because yeah. so uh, again, I mentioned my dad, who again, Marine Corps, Vietnam. I mean, he was over in Vietnam at the very, very beginning. Eighteen-year-old kid mm. at the very beginning, Operation Starlight or Silver Lance or whatever it was. Like, he was one of the first ones over, right? And he had when he, you know, had PTSD, severe. Like they told my grandma used to tell me, like your dad flipped a one eighty. After he came back from Vietnam, he really? was never the same person. Um, and like, I remember as a kid, like I couldn't wake him up to touch him. Like I'd had to turn on the light or say something from across the room, like six, seven year old kid, like can't go touch my dad to wake him up. Like, wow. and he suffered from this for years and years and years. And he ended up, you know, in the VA and he had an amazing, uh, uh, psychologist or counselor or whatever she was. She was incredible. But then she retired and then he got a new one and the new one was younger than me. Wow. And he had like a, like a serious issue with that. So like when we talk about like we can talk to our guys, like you said, yeah. it's like a therapy session. That's not therapy. It's so much easier to talk to someone that you're probably there with who gets it. Because mm -hmm. my dad's big thing with her was like, you weren't even alive when the Vietnam was here. Like you're going to talk to me about stuff you read in a book. Like I want someone who was there, like yeah. someone that can say, yeah, man, that sucks. Like I get it. Not like, oh, well tell me how that makes you feel. Like, yeah. you know, like all the scripted questions and the scripted responses as opposed to like, fuck man, I can remember. I'd never even thought about that. Yeah. So like, like, it's hard on these guys and, and it's not, it's not saying that she wasn't good at what she did. Like she got him to open up, which in itself is a, <laughs> is a miracle. Like anyone who's ever met my dad, like a dude, like that's a vault. Like you're not, you're not getting that guy to open up <laughs> at all. Um, but like, and I understood it. I was like, man, that makes so much sense. And I think that's why there's such camaraderie with first responders and military guys. Cause it's like, even though we banter and talk shit back and forth at the end of the day, like we've all been there, we get it. We know what it is. And like, we understand like, you were talking about squid and this, that, and the other, like, and then like infantry guys calling people pogues. And mm -hmm. it's like, settle down there, John Wick. Like you, you're like, you <laughs> haven't done all the stuff that you <laughs> right. act like you've done. Like, yes, <laughs> everyone sees us as these gunfighting warriors. And it's just like, no, like you were no. admin, bro. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Like you were, <laughs> and, but at the end of the day, like we all, we all wore the uniform and we can all talk to each other. Like mm -hmm. I can't entirely understand what infantry and those guys do, but like, Dude, I get it. I understand. Like, let's let's at least be able to chat. And they may open up to me more than they would open up to someone that they don't even know. So, like, I, I think that, yeah. that truck, that unit, that whatever it is, I think it makes so much sense. It is wild how easy it is for us to pick up with people we've never met in our life. Easy to pick up conversation just because their background in the military, Absolutely. another fire department. I mean, even at the gym, you know, I was wearing... Um, uh, one of my firefighting shirts, and this guy came. And was like, "Oh, you, you're fire, you're, yeah, right. <laughs> you're a firefighter." And I was like, "Oh yeah," and he's like, "Oh yeah, I work for uh, the other big city across the state." And I was like, oh, "Okay, shoot." And he, we just talked for like a half hour. Totally took away from my gym time, unfortunately. Okay, that I was gonna say that's my issue when somebody wants to come and and talk about my t-shirt or something like that. Oh, just, they're just yeah. like. You're like, I'm trying to get a deadlift in here. <laughs> Damn it. Well, you do have an interesting shirt on. You got oh. what looks like a, a soldier from the Vietnam era. It is. Walking around with a longboard. It's uh, actually, 
I think it's some like uh, mental health or like some Broga company or something like that. But it's a it's a military guy that started a company, and um, the guy on the shirt, that guy's name is Jerry Shine. Mm-hmm. And he's the very first dude that ever uh, like smuggled a surfboard <laughs> over to Vietnam. Vietnam. Nice. And, and it's not just a surfboard. It's it's a it's a longboard, oh, not a something board. like you yeah. can pocket. Log right yeah, <laughs> somehow it, that's the wild shit that you see in the military. Some people just bring some oh, off dude, the wall bullshit. The, dude, when we were in Qatar, man, people were selling bacon on like the Facebook Marketplace on base for like ten bucks a pound. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, on you a, just can't get it right on a ship. <laughs> on a ship, you know, we run out of supplies every every so often. And we got to do a resupply at sea. And um, the biggest thing is there would be people that bought cartons of Newports and logs of dip. And they'd store it away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. uh, The candy cigarettes. Um, But they would store them away until that moment that we ran out of Newports and we ran out of dip. And they would sell. They've got the currency. Oh yeah, they would sell a pack of cigarettes for ten bucks, <laughs> a, pa- a a a can of dip for ten bucks, and they would make a killing. Dude, we uh, when we were in Bagram, Afghanistan, rest in peace, Bagram. <laughs> we'll give that away anyway. Um, <laughs> that's we made like so. My nurse, it was also one of my best friends, named Shaggy, um, and there was another nurse that was uh, on another CCAT team there in Bagram. We're both from Louisiana. And they made a gumbo. Um, so, like, people had flown to Germany and they got stuff at the uh, BX there because, like, communicate with them. Hey, bring this stuff back. And then we went to all the defects in Bagram. We got onions. We got sausage. We got all the stuff that we could get and brought it back. They made a roux. They made everything. And they made us a gumbo in Afghanistan. It's amazing the stuff that you can get. Yeah. And we had rice, we had cornbread. Like it was a good night in the Ayat that day. It was fantastic. <laughs> just sitting on the, uh, it's like super dark at night and you're sitting on the flight line, just eating and you're seeing like the drones and stuff fly off the mountains in the background. <laughs> you're just in Afghanistan and you just, uh, it's amazing the stuff that you can get and to barter with. Yeah. That's good times how we're able to figure stuff out with little supply but again like little things like that Mm -hmm. that's therapeutic in itself like that is an escape like that is an escape that like i think you know it's so funny because my dad would be like man how is it over there i was like we've got internet like i'm literally talking (laughs) to you on the phone like face yeah like you were in vietnam where like maybe you'd get a letter four months later like you know like it's like we're doing okay like like it's steak and lobster night. Like, do you want steak and lobster in the Middle East? Probably not. But like, they had it. Like, we could eat it. You know, like that's and- bad news for for anybody on a ship. Surfing turf. Like, oh, oh shit. bad news is coming. <laughs> but it, but it's like those little things like would be like again therapy in itself. Like you are in the middle of Afghanistan or wherever you may be, depending on the time. You know, and like you have this fellowship with the people that you're deployed with and that will for the most part follow you for the rest of your life. Like you will see someone 10 years down the line and be like, Oh dude, I remember you. You were, Oh yeah. I was in Bagram for the last two months you were there. Yeah. That's crazy. Remember so-and-so and so-and-so and and this and that and the other. Yeah. I remember we went over to uh, the Royal uh, Air Force's uh, hangar and like 
had a proper cup of tea and a styrofoam cup for their hundredth yeah. anniversary. Did that. That was one of the coolest <laughs> things I've ever done. Uh, but like just little things like that, like it keeps you grounded. It keeps, I guess, in a, in a place that's supposed to be just awful. Like it kind of makes things still real for you. Yeah. Let's try and close this out. Um, just some final thoughts on, on the stigma of, you know, we got the, the tough guy talk and then we have the other spectrum where it's just like, you're painted as this emotional person if you do talk and we've we're trying to also shed light on the the that middle group that were just like hey we're here for it if you want to talk about it let's talk about it if if not i don't i see no problem in it yeah so that, again like the the bell curve thing like and i said it at lunch and you guys liked it i was like look man you've seen a lot of people die before covid and now all of a sudden you're emotional about every single person that's ever died like is that real or is that, are you just doing what yeah. is, are you doing what everyone else is doing? Cause like yeah. that was sad. I'm not saying it wasn't sad, but like, it's not new. Yeah. It's just new. And I feel like that's the group, the, the, the tough guy group who ends up seeing that is like, you're just doing it for attention. Yeah. Which, you're just doing it for attention, which sucks. Right. And then on the other side, the person that is dealing with something is like, that's not how I act though. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that's not how I act. I just, we just pick up and go. It's the next run. Absolutely. That's what we got to focus like, on. Like, I remember seeing those pictures of, like, and they're highly, like, edited or highly filtered. It's, like, the bruises on the face from the masks that people wore. And I'm, like, I never had a bruise on my face. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was my, I was in the Bronx yeah, for yeah. COVID, like, in the nastiest time. Never once did I go home with bruises on my face. No. From Like, all the bathrooms were shut down. There was no water. There was nowhere to eat like that all sucked. But like, I don't remember having bruises on my face, yeah, like, right. but they like portrayed that. And it's like, no, that's not, maybe that happened a couple times. Maybe you didn't properly have your PPE on. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there's gotta be a middle ground. Like there's like the, the, I think his name is like Daniel Sandow or Sundow. Those images of like that versus the emergency cringe stuff or whatever yeah, like, they're it's and I, and I get it right because like it never let a never let a good tragedy go to waste is what they say so yeah. like we need to glamorize all this look at everyone that's doing all these things and it's like we talked about the people that are not celebrated or they are now actually it's like oh yeah good point <laughs> grocery people the people that clean up like all this stuff like all we ever heard about before it was like doctors and nurses, doctors and nurses, mm, yeah. doctors and nurses. Well, there's like RTs and there's med techs and there's paramedics and there's firefighters. Yeah. And there's all these other people that make things happen. Not just doctors and nurses. Like you see on. Yeah. You know, I don't have time TV to shows. sit on the floor up against the wall and cry. Like I got to go to my next run. The next person, you know, like you, you said, or I got to uh, go clean the blood off the floor of the next. Yeah, room. absolutely. Are we doing clean anything about checking on those guys? How are they doing? Yeah. Exactly. I'm just here to clean up a clean up a bed and, and throw these sheets away. Somebody just died on this bed, but I'm supposed to just move on and go clean the next bed. Yeah. yeah. What about those people? Everyone, everyone's got a story. Everyone's dealing with something. Yeah. It's just not. It's not just veterans. It's just not firefighters, law enforcement, first responders. It's every everyone's dealing with something and they deal with it in their own way. And and that's and we gotta where support it. And that's where I think the stigma of the PTSD because it's one of those things where like you say PTSD and the very first thing people are like oh man you were in the war and it's like no man like I don't have to have been in war to have had some traumatic event 
affect me mentally. That took a while for me to recognize. That took a while for me to realize. Well, originally, that's what it was, though. PTSD yeah. was only labeled for people who were in combat. Right. So, like, um, originally, like, George Carlin has an amazing stand-up a bit, bit about this. And he talks about World War One. it was called shell shock, where you are broken mentally. Like, you snap because of stuff you've seen and stuff that you've done. And then you move on to World War II, and it was battle fatigue. And then you moved on to Korea, where it was operational exhaustion. And then you move on to uh, Vietnam, and it was PTSD, and that's what it is now. So you have to label everything. Like, mm. that's just the way it is. Everything has to be labeled now. But now I think that PTSD is a larger umbrella of issues that you've dealt with. Childhood trauma, car wrecks, fire. Like, all these people have never been in war, but they've had traumatic events affect them in some way, shape or form. So I think it's really important to understand that you don't have to have been a soldier mm. in order to have some traumatic event affect you in one way or shape or form. Michael, I could sit and talk to you for hours, man. You're a fascinating guy. So I, I appreciate that. That's all the movies that I watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's what it is. What about you, Bray? I mean, from a, not so much an outsider's perspective, maybe from the military, but you know, you've been in the fire service for now five and a half years, six years, yeah. and you're learning things as you've come, you know, this far about veterans and firefighters and even law enforcement officers. I mean, down in our city right now, our Leos are dealing with a lot and they're going through a lot. Yeah, I mean, we're, we've dealt with two officers getting shot in, in a single month. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's 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 crazy to think that nobody is dealing with shit and I'm trying to I'm trying to find the right words for it but like to think that those guys aren't aren't dealing with their own you know internal thoughts with everything going on on a day-to-day -day basis moving on to the next day or the next shift after hearing about one of their guys getting shot. Like that's just, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that they're not thinking about something. What are we doing to help those guys have a little bit of a break and outlet from it? Cause they're, mm -hmm. they're understaffed. Yeah. And that's hard in itself. Understaffed, underappreciated, uh, ridiculed all the things, right? Mm -hmm. the, I think the bad thing about, and this could probably be a whole other podcast. Am I allowed to say a whole nother Stewie from, family guy does not like do a whole, whole nother uh anyway so like everything is like mutually exclusive now like there is no gray area it's black and white only like you cannot say man some of these really bad things that have happened are awful but i also appreciate and understand what insert military firefighter whatever police do for us right it's like no i'm either all pro whatever or all against whatever can't be both i can't have gray area and like that's another thing that like you said so we've had two officers shot and that sucks you still have to do your job that sucks and then on top of that you are being told that you're the most awful people on the planet yeah and like all oh, those man, things i don't know how they do it absolutely and like then it has nothing to do with them like those things that happened other places are terrible and awful. I think everyone would agree upon that. What the hell does that have to do with somebody in Dothan, Alabama, right? Like, like you're terrible because that guy did something awful. And it's like, that makes no sense. Yeah. 
Well, I appreciate you guys coming on. It was it was cool to have two guests on from different spectrums of you know military and firefighter and just hear you guys talk. Uh, I appreciate both you guys coming on together and agreeing to doing this. Not a problem. Um, I'd hope to do this again. Absolutely. Uh, it was it was fun. Uh, it was a different vibe. So uh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you again. No, oh, thank you. No worries. Um, but if you do get the chance, go check out Brit's podcast. Young American. Yeah. You can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Is that it? All, yeah. Uh, yeah. You can all the streaming sites. All it's it's some good. You know, my brother says laughter is the best kind of therapy. That's a, a bit of like the unwritten motto of the podcast because it's just pure nonsense. It's not. <laughs> it's nothing like this at all. Can I find it on Netscape Navigator? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, be sure to... Share this, uh, post it on all your social media, and be on the lookout for another episode. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks for inviting us to your man cave. (laughs) 